In this episode of the Data Career Podcast, I sit down with Asa Howard, a logistics data analyst, and he walks us through how he landed his first data job, even without experience, through the power of cold messaging. This is the Data Career Podcast, episode 44. Welcome to the Data Career Podcast, the podcast that helps aspiring data professionals land their next data job. Here's your host, Avery Smith. Welcome back to another episode of the Data Career Podcast. I'm super excited for my guest today. We have Asa Howard. If you guys don't know Asa, I'll have all of his links in the description down below. Definitely go connect with him on LinkedIn. But Asa is a solutions engineer at Green Mountain Technology, where he helps solve logistic problems with data. He studied neuroscience in college at Baylor University. He's super passionate about Google Sheets, productivity, and sharing his data journey. So Asa, welcome to the podcast. Yes, thank you, Avery. I'm so excited to be here. So the first thing I want to talk about was a little bit about how we connected, because it's kind of actually a, a funny story. And I'll tell it from my perspective, and then maybe you can you can kind of say where I, where I missed, missed out. Cool. But I'm trying to think how this actually happened. You know, Asa is married. Asa's wife does some pretty cool things on YouTube and Instagram and, and things like that. And I somehow started following your wife on Instagram. And I don't even know how I did that. Did like, do you guys, do they have Utah connections or were they friends with like influencers yes, in Utah? Definitely. Yeah. They have a lot of Utah connections, grew up there, a lot of families from there and have since moved over to Texas. Okay. That's probably what it was, was totally. that it was like a, a you know, kind of a, a big Utah influencer following there. Anyways. And then I saw Asa on her Instagram. And I was like, wow, this guy's pretty interesting. He's talking about Google Sheets. And in a previous life, he was teaching people how to do well on the ACT. And I was like, this is, this is a pretty cool guy. So I started following him on Instagram. And then one day, all of a sudden on LinkedIn, I get tagged in a post and it's from, from Asa. And it was like, you know, I talking about his data journey and how, you know, I think you said something about how my posts were helpful or something like that. And I was like, wait, that's the guy I follow on Instagram. And I was all confused. Is that kind of how it was from your perspective too or no? Oh, not at all. That's so funny. Yeah. I started my data journey about a year ago and I was kind of in this transition. Like he said, I was studying neuroscience. So I thought I was going to go into medicine and totally realized that that was not for me. It was not my passion. I was not good at it and I had to pivot. And so part of that pivot was like, hey, let's just go on LinkedIn and, and see what we can find. I already kind of been dabbling in, in data a little bit. I'd had some Python experience, but really didn't know much. And probably within the first couple of weeks of being on LinkedIn, over a year ago, I found Avery's page. And some of the stuff that he was teaching was super, super helpful for my journey, helped me get my feet under me and get started. And so I've been following you for over a year now. And so it's so funny to hear that that you had found me on Instagram and we didn't even know each other at the time. Yeah, it's, it's super funny. So you were following me on LinkedIn and I wasn't following you. And then I was following you on Instagram and you weren't following me. So anyways, it's just, it's just a, a funny yeah, world. I'm pretty sure I just followed you back on Instagram like yesterday. So <laughs> sorry about that. <laughs> hey, no problem. Glad, glad to have the follow. Uh, that, that's awesome. Okay. So anyways, that's just a little bit about how we got to know each other and, and made that connection. I wanted to get into what you do now, because I know we said that you studied neuroscience at Baylor, wanted to be a doctor, 
found out that wasn't for you. I guess actually before we jump into that, like how did you know it's not for you? Because there's a lot of people in the audience today, you know, who are listening, who are like in a career that that's that's not for them. What was the sign for you that was like, oh my gosh, I don't think I want to do this. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> there are lots of signs, probably big red flags, honestly. But my first semester of school, when I got to college, I just did horribly taking chemistry and biology. And I was failing most of my tests. I've always been a math guy. Even since like three years old, I've been such a math guy. I went all the way through high school. I was the top of my class in calculus. And then I wanted to go to the science field and everyone looked at me like I was crazy. And so, you know, I wasn't really looking at the signals and letting myself know, okay, this probably isn't for me, but I went with it anyway and failed hard. I ended up sticking with neuroscience though, because I have always been passionate about the brain, how the psychology of our behavior works, how, you know, how do memories work? How do we sense and see things? And all of that stuff was super fascinating to me. So I stuck with the neuroscience because I just wanted to learn something that was really, really interesting and cool that not a lot of people have the opportunity. But I did decide just medicine, medicine and med school in general wasn't for me. I wasn't great at those classes and it wasn't as interesting as I thought it was in high school. So that was kind of what led me to, to pivot there. Awesome. I think there's a lot of good stuff there, but basically my takeaway is, you know, Life's too short. If you don't love what you're doing, go do something else, especially in this day and age where, you know, obviously transitioning to a different career is always difficult, but I don't think it's been easier than it has been today than it has in the history of the world, right? There's so many awesome resources, you know, this podcast, programs I run, YouTube, other programs, you know, there's so many good opportunities to transition. So if you're not happy, like let's transition. So you did transition. Let's talk about what your current title and company is right now and a little bit about what you spend your time doing today. For Awesome. Yeah, I'll give you the rundown. So I'm a solutions engineer at Green Mountain Technology. Basically, the short story is we help big customers like Walmart, Costco, Ulta, Microsoft, any of the big retailers that you know, we help them make decisions on their packages. So those big companies, they have millions of different projects and different things going on, but we specifically look at their shipments and their packages and use their data to help them solve problems. Okay. That's really interesting. I like a couple different things that you mentioned there, and I want to point some things out to the listeners. One, your, your title right now is solutions engineer. Now I don't hear the word data in there. I don't hear the word analytics in there, but that doesn't mean that you're not using those on a day-to-day -day basis, right? Yeah, exactly. And that was something that it kind of drew me away from this career whenever I first was applying. Cause I'm like, that isn't data analytics. I, I don't really know what a solutions engineer is. I haven't studied anything with engineering. I don't know what that means. And really the way my coworkers describe it is we are there to engineer a solution using data. And there are, you know, if that's something holding you back, if you're looking for jobs, something to keep in mind is there's so many different titles and there's so many different ways that companies might word something that doesn't mean it's not a data analyst or a data scientist. So kind of look into that and look at really what the day-to-day -day looks like. Because for me, I saw, okay, we're working with SQL a lot. We are talking to customers. We're building dashboards. I'm like, that sounds like a data. And I took a chance on it. And sure enough, it's very much in the same world and the same realm that I was comfortable with. It just has a different title. For sure. That, that makes a lot of sense. And I think that's a really good thing for our listeners to pick up on that really the job that you want 
can't always be summarized in, in two words. And also the two words that people use to describe that job are going to be different from, from one place to another. To be honest, it's just, I don't know, different cultures, different nomenclatures, different responsibilities. You know, like some people are, some data analysts will be very SQL heavy. Some will be very, you know, visualization heavy. And for some reason we can't all agree on this name equals this is what you do. When I, when I actually got my first job at ExxonMobil, I was technically an optimization engineer, but you know, every day I was programming in Python, I was using SQL, I was making machine learning and stuff like that. And it was like very, very data centric and, but the word data wasn't found in the title at all. Okay. So anyways, I just love that you have this, this interesting, interesting title. Absolutely. Now let's talk about a little bit more of, of what your company does specifically. And obviously if you can't talk about certain things, that's, that's totally fine, but it sounds like you're helping these big companies choose their packaging and their labeling and you're using data to do that. I mean, obviously don't say anything that you can't, but like, just like what type of data is involved in, in labeling and in, in these consumer goods? Is it like purchasing data? Is it like position data at the store? What type of data do you guys typically use? Yeah, that's a great question. So a lot of the data that we're working with shipments that they've already made. So the expected delivery date, the zip codes, the price of the package, the price of all the additional fees, like fuel, you never even think about all the extra things that go into the price of just a single package. If you have to deliver it to a house versus a business, you're going to charge an extra fee. There's going to be all of these different little pieces. And so our job is to help them look at the data as a whole and make some high level decisions. And so really we're, we're consultants for these people. We're not really the decision makers. We're not really doing any of the heavy lifting, but we are just presenting them with this idea that says, Hey, you know, maybe UPS is giving you this much discount versus FedEx is giving you this much discount on X number of packages. Let's go with FedEx for this year. And then, you know, that's something that they can go back and decide, but we're really there to just help them see those numbers and make educated decisions with how their year of shipments is going to go. Okay. That's interesting. So a lot, a lot of shipping past shipping data that you're like storing in like a database. And basically if someone wants to be like, Hey, I need to ship a bunch of this stuff from A to B, you could potentially go to the database, see who's got, kind of gone close from A to B, what those prices might be, you know, what discounts might've been applied and then make a recommendation on what they might do. That, that makes a lot of sense. Shipping exactly. is so fascinating. It's such a big, it's such a big thing right now, just because I don't go to the store, right? I, I, I only like order stuff online, even my groceries. I don't go grocery shopping anymore. I only do, I only do delivery. So anyway, shipping is just life. like a fascinating, <laughs> it's, it's a fascinating place to be. So that, that's, that's really cool. Now tell us a little bit more about how you found this job. Was this like a job you found online? Did you know someone? How did, how did you find this, this job opening? Yeah. So let me kind of backtrack a little bit and tell you the six months that led up to finding this job. So starting in about February of 2022, I guess it's 2023 now, <laughs> 2022, I just started doing what probably most of you guys are doing, just applying to everything you can find on LinkedIn. If it says data in it, I was applying and I was really getting frustrated and really getting upset because I was getting either rejected to all of these online applications, or I was not hearing anything back. And that was super frustrating. And I was like, I have a strong resume. I've done some projects. I've worked with data. I've, you know, I've have not really any experience, but I've 
kind of done some of these projects, why am I not getting any response? And I quickly learned through following people like Avery, he talks about, you know, focus on companies and be very intentional with just a handful of companies instead of just a cold applying to thousands of them at a time, you're much more likely to land a job. And so after about six months of doing that, getting nowhere, I decided, okay, I'm going to pivot. I'm going to change my direction and really try to focus in on just two or three companies. My dad actually works in the supply chain space. He's a salesman. And so he had some connections and was like, Hey, you know, this company looks really good. So I reached out to them. I applied, I did some research on the back end, tried to look at their website, actually landed an interview. And I went through four rounds of interviews before I got rejected. And that was brutal. And, and the main takeaway there is if you get an interview and you're working on, you know, you think you're going to do it, it looks good. Just know that they're also looking at other candidates. So you are allowed to look at other jobs. Don't count anything off the table because it might just go away just like that. But after that experience, I was like, I really have to double down on the strategy. So I picked three companies that I thought looked good, had kind of a vibe I wanted to work in was entry level. And I just did a ton of research on them, looked at their website, read reports, yearly reports. I would reach out to people on LinkedIn that had the same title as the job I was applying to. And so basically I found 10 to 15 people at Green Mountain Technology with the solutions engineer title. And I reached out to them and I just said, Hey, I'm really interested in this position. I really want to hear from your perspective, what you do and just see if this is a good fit for me. And probably of those 15 people, at least eight of them got on the phone with me, let me know, talked me through some stuff. It was super helpful, super cool environment. So by the time I even applied, the HR person was like, oh, we've, we've heard your name. You're, you've been coming up in conversation. We know you're, you, we know you're knocking on our door. So let's do an interview. And sure enough, I had so many people vouching for me in the company by that point that it was, it was kind of easy to get the job. That, that is awesome. I love so many things about that. And, and thank you for, for sharing that story. What I, what I really love about it is you, you are kind of doing this method that I like to call the spray and pray where you're like, yep. I'm going to easy apply to a hundred LinkedIn jobs today. And usually, I mean, it's not always a hard rule, but usually spray and pray does not work very well. And so you, you narrow down your search. You're like, okay, I'm going to just focus on logistics right now. And then I love how you, how you worked your way in with, with the people that had the current title at your company you were going for. So did you identify the company first that, that, that this, this company is an interesting company, they have an open role role, and then you found people with that title. Is that right? Yes, exactly. Yeah. Okay. And then what, what, what type of message did you send? Because, you know, I have a lot of students inside of the data analytics accelerator program right now. And one thing we're working on is, is cold messaging and how to send these types of messages. And it can be really scary to be sending these cold messages and kind of be asking for something. Right. So what, what type of messages did you send? What is something that you would, you'd recommend for other people to say? Here, I, I pulled one up. This is a actual chat from a thread on LinkedIn. This guy is now my mentor at Green Mountain, but this was the first message I sent to him on May 25th. I said, hey Ben, I'd love to chat with you about your role at GMT. I've been looking at the solutions engineer position and it looks super interesting. Four, like four hours later, he's like, hey, I'd love to chat. Are you available Friday? And that, that was history. And then I just did that like 
10 times until I, until they, everyone knew my name. That is awesome and very simple. I think that's something that, you know, people can kind of steal, you know, it's not, you didn't say anything complicated. You kind of got straight to the point, but what's obvious to me is that you had done your research. Like you knew that there was a role open. You knew what the role was called. You knew that they had that same role. And I think doing that little bit of extra homework can, can go a really a, a long way. So, so that's awesome. So basically you kind of landed this job from from networking really. Like that was a big factor. It was networking. And that was kind of a misconception that I had going into it is, oh, I have to draw on my current network. Like, well, I don't really know anybody. I don't have anyone in the, in this job. I don't have anyone in this career. So instead of trying to cultivate like my families and just reach out to people and make that that network right there on LinkedIn. And that was something that it was a little bit scary, but just sending a simple message like that, one of two things is going to happen. Either they say yes or they say no. And sometimes the yeses, they didn't want to get on a call. They would just be like, well, what do you want to know? And that's a little bit more intimidating. But then I would just like go on their website, find a few buzzwords and be like, oh, well, I've heard that the solutions engineer does this, this, and this. Tell me about it. And then just let them talk. That's, that's, that's really neat. I think there's a lot of good stuff that, that we, can, we can learn from that. Keeping it simple you know, not taking rejection as they hate you. It's just, you know, they're busy and they have other things they'd rather do. It doesn't mean you're not good enough. doesn't mean that they hate you. Were all those cold messages worth it? Like, was, was it worth like the anxiety and the effort to do all of that in the end? Absolutely. So worth it. And something I'll add to that, just for anyone that's willing to, to try this method out, two things are really important to remember. Number one, don't spam. Don't like hit them up with 15 messages. They'll get to it eventually. And if they don't try somebody else, you know, these companies probably have 50 to hundred people, at least try somebody else. Secondly, make sure your LinkedIn profile looks like a real person. Have some things that you're interested on there. Talk about what you're passionate about. Have your resume on there, have it built out. So if they do choose to look into your profile and they say, you know, I want to get on this call. I want to get on a call with this person. They look cool. So definitely build that out and take some time to, to build a presence on your LinkedIn. Yeah. Having a, having a good LinkedIn can be really impactful. Like, oh, wow, this person's kind of interesting and they have an interesting story and they maybe could really influence our, our company. I think that, I think that's awesome. Now at, at your, your current position, are you mostly using SQL? Are you mostly using Excel? What's the tool that you're using the, the most on a day-to-day -day basis? I would say SQL primarily, and then Excel for all of our dashboards and reporting. We do a little bit of Tableau as well, but our company is a little bit more freeform. It's kind of like if the customer has a question, answer it however you need to answer it, present it however you need to present it. But it's cool because they allow us to draw on our own skill sets. We have some people who really lean into R, who really lean into Python, and that's what they're good at. So that's, that's how they're going to present their data. But for me, I would say SQL and Excel is primarily where I'm standing. Okay. Interesting. So it, it almost sounds like you are like a little mini consultant for these companies and uh, they ask a question and you, and you provide them an answer and you can provide that answer in any way that you want. And so, you know, you might have a, a SQL database, so it makes sense to use SQL, but also like even with a SQL database, you could use, you could use some Python stuff with the SQL database and stuff like that. So it's really just a matter of, of personal preference, which is kind of cool. It goes back to your title of like, here's a problem from the business. 
my job as a solutions engineer is to engineer a solution. And a lot of those, those solutions are going to be, you know, data driven. So I think, I think that's, that's, yep. that's so good. That's so good. Uh, okay. The other thing I wanted to talk to you about was just a little bit more about, about getting that job. So you, you went through this whole process of the spray and pray. It didn't work very well. You know, you, you really, what worked well for you was finding this, this company with a lot of different solution engineers. You saw the open, open solution engineer role. You reached out to all those people. By the time you actually got to like the hiring manager or the recruiter, they're familiar with your name, which, which is awesome. And then you said it was, kind, it was of kind of easy. Did, did you go through a lot of interview processes or was it just, did they just like look at your resume? Did you have to show a portfolio? Was the interview process behavioral or was there some sort of like skill check to walk us through that path a little bit more? Yeah, for sure. So it was kind of interesting because if you remember the company I'd applied to before, I went through four rounds of interviews and that company was, they were really interested in all of the individual things on my resume. Like, oh, well, when did you do this? And November, 2019, when did, what was this? And they were very focused on the skills and didn't really want to know me as a person. And what was so interesting is when I went over to this other, to Green Mountain Technology, their interview was very person focused. And I don't think we even talked about my resume at all. She's like, Hey, I looked at it. It looks like you're doing some good stuff. I've, and because of the way that you've talked with all these other engineers, they all can vouch for you and they all know, and they've seen the projects that you've done. So I don't need to ask you about that. I want to know you as a person. Just seeing the difference in how that was approached made me automatically know this is a much better company to be at anyway. I'm not even sad about the one that I went through four rounds of interviews for. So with Green Mountain, we, we did two interviews. First one was just very conversational, just like this, getting to know my personality, kind of making sure I'm coachable, I'm teachable and that I'm willing and ready to learn. And then the next interview was a case study presentation. They gave me a big data set and some very vague instructions that basically said, throw together an analysis based on these, this data. And that was it. Like there was no direction, there was no anything. And so that was a little bit tough. They gave me a week to do that. And it was a, CSV file with a hundred thousand rows, just full of shipping data. And I should have done it in SQL. But the thing is at the time, I didn't really even know SQL. I'd like done a couple SQL projects and I knew that that was their primary focus in the company, but I was like, oh crap, do I either spend all my time learning how to do SQL so I can prove that I can do it? Or do I do it in a software I'm comfortable with like Google sheets and then just provide a really, really, really good case study. I ended up going with that, did it on Google Sheets. It was slow. It crashed on me a hundred times, but I was able to use those numbers and get to those conclusions a little bit faster than taking the time to learn SQL. So when I ended up presenting this case study, they were like, oh, you know, are you, I know that you did this in Google Sheets. Are you capable of doing it in SQL? And I was like, look, I've worked in SQL, but right now at my current place, I'm not in a position to use SQL to have gotten the accuracy and the speed in which I did this. I wanted to present you an accurate and very well done project. I can learn SQL later and immediately after this interview, I'll be taking a course and catching up on SQL. And they, they really liked that. That that's awesome. There's so many good things there. I want to, I want to branch off of the first one being, and, and I try to preach this, that 
your skills is probably not the thing that's holding you back from landing a job. The majority of the time, it's not the skills. And in this particular case, I mean, it sounds like you didn't even really have the skill that they really wanted, but it's your networking, your perseverance, your personality. I mean, we can't all be like Asa and have, and have your, your charming personality to, to, to wing our way. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> but, uh, but like, it's so it's, amazing that you didn't even have to know SQL to land that job. It's, it's like so right. impactful. It was just like, you know, I, I, I networked my way in. My personality was to the point where I could kind of reach out to these people. They would kind of enjoy our conversation, see that I could learn, see that I was hardworking and, and build from there. It kind of goes back to yesterday. I was on Ken G's podcast, uh, Ken's nearest neighbors. And one thing we talked about is the stuff that you learn in school isn't even the stuff you learn on the job. And so it's like, it's like, you can't even really prepare for the job because the stuff they teach you in school is not the stuff they teach you at the job. So if you're going to hire someone, no one's going to know what they're actually doing until they start Nobody working there. Yeah. So why not hire someone you like? So I like this company. I like that they did the case study with you. I'm all about case studies. I think that's really fascinating. Awesome. Thanks. Thanks for sharing that with us there. I want to transition sure. a little bit to a, a little bit from that story is, you know, you took this a hundred thousand row CSV and you were like, all right, I'm going to analyze this. And you chose Google sheets as your, your weapon of choice. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's is bold. It's bold. Uh, <laughs> but you like it, so that's great. And I want to talk a little bit because you said it was crashing a lot. I've mm -hmm. had 100,000 rows in Google Sheets. It does not go well. It's one of the downfalls of Google Sheets is it doesn't yeah. handle big data extremely well. But I know you're a big Google Sheets guy, so I want you to to act act like you're a Google Sheets missionary here and and convince me and everyone listening to why Google Sheets rocks. I want to hear. Google Sheets absolutely rocks. For, I was going to give you a number, but I'm just going to start listing, <laughs> listing off reasons. Number one, it's absolutely completely online. Excel kind of has this online thing a little bit with SharePoint and Office 365, but Google Sheets is instantly accessible. It's fully online. You can pick it up on your phone. You can pick it up on anybody's device. Number two, it's completely compatible with collaboration. You can send it to anybody. You can all do things at the same time. You can make edits, you can make changes, you can send it in for review. Number three, it's a lot more user-friendly. As someone who has since in the last year, I've learned both Google Sheets and Excel to a pretty intermediate to advanced. I love the way that Google Sheets is laid out. Its usability is a lot easier. It's a lot more like nice for people who just aren't necessarily into data. If they need to use a spreadsheet, Google Sheets is definitely the move. And I could list a hundred other reasons. That That's awesome. I, I love those reasons. I do love how collaborative it is. Yeah. I do love how accessible it is, right? Like I, I teach Excel in my analytics program and, you know, not everyone has Excel on their machine, you know, or you have an old version of Excel. Right now I'm paying like seven bucks a month, I think for Excel. On, on my computer and Google Sheets is free. So I'm paying nothing. Yep. And nothing's better than $7 a, $7 a month. True. True. Uh, let, let me ask you this is, and yeah, let me ask you this. Have you seen people at, you know, in the profession, you know, a solutions engineer or a data analyst using Google Sheets on the job? Because obviously Google Sheets is a great way to learn. Also, if you know Google Sheets, you're going to figure out Excel pretty easily. But do you ever see companies actually using Google Sheets in kind of the workforce or is that something you haven't seen as much of? So at my company, no, 
Excel is pretty much the standard. Costco, I can tell you that Costco is 100% G Suite. They use Google Sheets for everything. So it's funny because we always have to convert their files over to Excel. But yeah, they're 100% using Google Drive and Sheets and Word and everything. So. Okay. Yeah. That's, that's really interesting. So the, like, for instance, if there was a Costco data analyst, they might be working in, in Google sheets. I'm assuming Google works in Google sheets. I like, mean, I would hope so. Right. Like some of those roles they'd have to be using Google sheets. So I don't see it listed too often as like a requirement. And once again, if you know, Google sheets, you know, Excel, if you know, Excel, you know, Google sheets. I mean, it's not exactly a one-to-one, but it's, it's pretty similar. For sure. And I, I think part of the argument, like a lot of people argue, okay. Excel is a lot better because it can handle more data. It has more features and functions and formulas. And I will say that Google Sheets is, it's keeping up in the race. It, it's just expanded to be able to handle about a million rows. They're adding new formulas and functions constantly to keep up. So, you know, if you're not doing anything insane, Google Sheets can cover pretty much everything you need to do. And even in my job, even in my like professional environment, I don't really see anyone doing anything and I would not be capable in Google Sheets. So it's like, yeah, to some degree, Excel is probably more powerful. But even in my job, if everything that's going on, there's nothing you couldn't do without with Google Sheets. So awesome. That's yeah, I, I think I think that's a, a a good a good summary synopsis of all of it. And one thing I wanted to to tell you guys, the listeners is one thing that's really cool is is Ace is actually doing a Google Sheets course that I think would be good for people wanting to get into data, but also just people who are like, who use data tangentially at their job, like if they're accountants or I don't know, engineers, stuff like that, I think it could be really good. So he has a wait list for that and I'll put the link and the description in the show notes down below. But Ace, if you wanna take a couple, a couple seconds and explain a little bit about what you're doing. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm building three separate Google Sheets courses, a very beginner, like you've never even touched a spreadsheet in your life, kind of an intermediate. We're getting into some formulas and functions, some tables, pivot tables, stuff like that. And then I don't even call it advanced, but just like intermediate plus, right? Just a little bit more doing V lookups, doing X lookups, some of those a little bit more challenging functions. That's what I'm working on right now, doing three separate courses. I'll kind of package it as one if people want to just get all of it at once or do each individual course. But right now I'm just working on the completely basic course. So I'm launching a beta in probably about a week and I need people to get on, take the beginner course, give me some feedback. And it's just going to be very short, like 11 or 12 videos. Shouldn't take more than two hours, but I really just need some feedback to see Am I going the right direction? Am I teaching y'all some things that you think you'd want to know, even if you're a beginner or if you're a little bit more advanced and kind of putting yourself in their shoes? So that's what I'm doing right now. And the link that Avery's going to provide is, is the sign-up sheet to that beta course. Awesome. So you guys can check that out in the show notes down below. I hope you enjoyed that episode. And if you did, I'm going to have an awesome free masterclass that I know you're going to love. We're going to talk about a lot of things this episode talked about. You can get it absolutely for free at datacareerjumpstart.com training or using the link in the show notes down below. Hope to see you there.